Good morning, everybody. All right. You guys having a good weekend? Yes. Yes? Yes. It's great to have Amanda back with us. Love following her along on Facebook and seeing how her, uh, her journey is uh, progressing. It's so cool to see. And so we're happy for you. I'm so happy that we're all here together to worship God and spirit and truth here this morning. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk about something that's important. We're going to talk about something that's important because we have to ask ourselves, what is the gospel? But not just what is the gospel, but what is the gospel and why does it matter? I'm here to tell you that in Christendom, as well as just in the Lord's Church, I don't think not everybody knows what the gospel is. If you don't believe me, I want you to do an experiment this week. I want you to, in your own mind right now, not answering, but in your mind I want you to answer, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? Don't answer it in your mind. And I want you to see if that, what you have in your mind matches up with what I'm going to teach you this morning. But then if you don't believe me that we have a problem in the world that not people really understand what the gospel is and why it matters, I want you to go to anybody and everybody you know this week, and I just want you to ask them a simple question. Do an experiment. Do a survey. Ask them, what is the gospel and why does it matter? I'm here to tell you, you'll get a whole variety of different answers. But there's only one answer. And we need to know the answer to that question if we're able to tell people why it matters. And so this morning, I'm going to provide an overview of what the scriptures teach in regards to the gospel to look at also why it matters. Because as Christians, we need to know what the gospel is if we're going to be able to teach others why it matters. How can I teach you why the gospel matters if I don't fully understand what the gospel is? Last week, and in the Bible study this morning, and I believe Bible study last week, you guys heard me say that the, the apostles, the disciples of Christ, were given a commission. Amen? Are we disciples of Christ? Have we been given a mission? What is that mission? To go out into the world and to teach and to preach and to share. Share what? The gospel. Because the gospel matters. It matters for every single human being on this planet. There's not a person on this planet who does not need to know the gospel and why it matters. And so when we think of the early church and all the missionary trips that they conducted, it was because God gave them a commission. We too have a commission. And I think about the screen behind me, and I think of Acts chapter 14 and verse 7. And what does it say? It says, and there they continue to do what? Preach the gospel. Why was that important? Oh, well, because A, God gave them a commission. He gave them a command. But they also understood what the gospel was. And they understood that there wasn't a person on this planet that didn't need to hear what they had to say. Why is it that we are so reluctant today to share the gospel? When we know that there's not a friend or a family member or co-workers whose life it will not change. The gospel has the power to change and transform the lives of the individuals who know what it is and who understand why it matters. In the passage we just read, Paul and Barnabas were on their very first missionary journey. They had left Iconium and they fled to the region of Lyconia and Derby. 
Why did they have to flee Iconium? That's a logical question that we need to ask. Well, we find the answer by looking at the rest of the passage in context. So when you open it up and you look at a broader, broader sense, it says in Acts 14, 5 through 7, and when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to do what? To mistreat and to stone them. Stone who? P Paul and Barnabas. And so they became aware of it, and they did what? They fled. They fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding region, and there they did what? They continued to preach the gospel. Well, the, I read that, and I think to myself, if you don't know what the gospel is and why it matters, A, you're not going to preach it, but if you know what the gospel it is and you know why it matters, then you know why they had to continue to preach it. They just tried to stone them. That means they tried to kill them. And yet they fled and they did what? They went and preached anyways. They took the message out because they knew of the importance of the message. Brothers and sisters, to answer the question, you must know what the gospel is and why it matters. As to why did they continue to put their lives on the line? Why were they continuing to put themselves in harm's way for something if they didn't understand it or if they didn't understand the importance of it? So I asked the question this morning, what is the gospel? In short, we understand that the gospel is what? It is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. So in your mind, when I asked you to, to, to give an answer to yourself, what is the gospel, was that the answer? Because that's what the scriptures teach. How do I know that? Well, we read the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 through 4, what does the scriptures tell us? Now I make known to you, brethren, what? The gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received, which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless your belief was worthless. For I delivered to you of a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so in verse 3, it said that Christ died for our sins. But brethren, we here in this building, here this morning, we know who Christ is. But does everybody know who Christ is? And so the next logical question is, well, who's Christ? Well, you know, the word Christ means Messiah. Christ is the Messiah. But who is it? It doesn't tell us in verse in chapter 15. So if we were to, in order to share the gospel, we must be able to explain who Christ is. Well, then I think about the next passage of scripture. And just so you know, this is a scripture-heavy sermon. It's not a difficult sermon, but it's a scripture-heavy sermon. And if you have the bulletins, whether it's in the back, or if you have the email, every one of these passages of scripture are in the bulletin, right underneath the bulletin article. And so you can then review these as you go home later today. <coughs> But we know, okay, what the gospel, we know we have to understand what is the gospel, why it matters. It tells us in uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians what it is. We learn about Christ, but we have to understand who Christ is so we can explain it to the world. And then in John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, it says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed. Signs, miracles, wonders, that's what it's talking about. Jesus performed many other signs, miracles, and wonders in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, why? So that you may believe 
That Jesus is who? Jesus is the Christ. The Christ that 1 Corinthians 15 spoke of. So that and he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, and that by believing you'll have life in his name. So the passage that we look here in John chapter 20, it tells us who Jesus is. It tells us why the gospel is written. When you look at the screen behind me, why was the gospel risen? A written? So that you will believe and you will have what? Life in his name. Is there any other person under heaven whose name salvation comes to man? Brothers and sisters, we know when we study the scriptures that God came down to earth. Amen? And he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. We learn about this in John chapter 1. We learn about the word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14, chapter 1. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. Right? And we know that he lived a sinless life. He taught us how to live and to be pleasing in the Father's sight. Because the Father had given him a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And he did so exactly as he was commanded. We know that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, according to the scriptures, was what? Crucified for our sins. He was resurrected and then 40 days later he ascended back into heaven to reign at the right hand of the Father. And so those passages tell us who Christ is. But those same passages also tell us what the gospel is. But you know what the problem is? It still doesn't tell us why it matters. It still doesn't tell us why the gospel matters. The question that I asked this morning is, what is the gospel? Why does it matter? And if we understand the power of the gospel and we understand why it matters, then I would ask you a different question. Why don't you take it out? When's the last time you shared it? When's the last time you spoke about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody who doesn't know what the gospel is? And why it matters? Brethren, that's why this lesson is important. In some ways, it's basic. But in other ways, it's not because we have to always understand what is at the forefront of our faith to take the message out into the world. It's not to feed the hungry and the poor. It's not to do good works to all people. Sure, we do those things, but that's not at the forefront of Christianity. The forefront of Christianity, the commission that was given, was go and do what? Teach, preach, share the gospel. They were, had their lives were on the line. They were almost stoned to death. They fled for their lives, and they continued to do what? Preach the gospel. Why? Because that was the commission that was given to them and every other Christian that will come after them. And so, brothers and sisters, those passages tell us who the Christ is, what the gospel is, but it doesn't tell us why it matters yet. Well, the gospel matters because it is the power for God into salvation. Well, how do I know that? Because you read the scriptures and you understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching. And in the next passage of scripture, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16 and 17, and I hear Randy mention this passage of scripture often. It says this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first as well as the Greek. For in the righteous, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith alone. Brothers and sisters, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are all doomed. Amen? 
You have zero chance of being saved. There is no salvation without the power that is in salvation through the gospel. And so when we look at these passages of scripture this morning, we understand, brethren, that there is no amount of good works that can erase the chasm that is caused by sin. The sin causes a chasm to be put between a holy and righteous God and ourselves. Well, the Bible tells me that there is, uh, for all mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This Acts 17, as I mentioned in Bible study this morning, said that all mankind, all people everywhere have to do what? Repent. Repent of what? Sin. Who gets to dictate sin? God. Where do we learn about it? In the New Testament, in the New Covenants. Brothers and sisters, as we look at the scriptures here this morning, because of the Savior's death and resurrection, we don't have to suffer the consequences of our wicked behavior. Is there anybody on this planet who doesn't have wicked behavior at one time or another, or even still to this day? Is there anybody on this planet who doesn't need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ? There's not a single person. Friend, family member, co-worker, everybody. So that's why Paul said, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to the true grace of God, he tells us in uh, Romans 14. Brothers and sisters, you look at the next passage. Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Notice what it says. Let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom, was, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that by this name, uh, by, that, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by the builders, and which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among man on which we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven that is given by which we must be saved. The word saved in verse 12 is used in two senses. The first sense has to do with the man who was healed in context in, in these verses. Talking about the healing of the man because the Greek word for it, for healed in the Greek means saved. The second aspect of it is talking about, the second sense is talking about saved in the sense of salvation. And as Peter had done before, he is now contrasting what the Jewish leaders did with Jesus versus what God had done with Jesus. And why is that important? Because the Jewish leaders had crucified the Messiah, the Christ. But what did God do? God raised him up. And Peter, he mentions, uh, he, he recalls Psalm 118 and verse 22 that mentions the stone that you builders rejected. And that's also in the New Testament. They, they quote that passage of scripture. But God turns around and raises Jesus from the dead on the third day. According to the scriptures, Jesus himself in his earthly ministry said, Just as Moses lifted up the, uh, the standard in the wilderness, I too will be lifted up from the earth. And why does that matter? Because we know it was all according to the scriptures. When Jesus says, I didn't come to live contrary to the law, but I came to fulfill the law. All that was written about me in the law and in the Psalms and in the prophets, I had come to fulfill. And so Peter, uh, uh, we know that God turns around, raises Christ from the dead, and goes from the cornerstone to the capstone. Well, what is the capstone? Well, if you were to look up a definition, it says crowning achievements. 
Jesus is the cornerstone as well as the capstone, the crowning achievement of the plan that God had put in place before the foundation of the world for mankind to close the gap that has been caused by sin. Brothers and sisters, that's why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation for both the body and spirit can be found only in Christ Jesus. And the next thing that we need to look at is the answer is, well, for whom does it matter then? We know what the gospel is. We know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. We now know that why it matters, but who does it matter for? <laughs> That's an important question. Because if you really believe the answer to the question, then you're going to leave here today and want to do what? Share your faith. Share the gospel with somebody. Because it is the power unto salvation. For there's no other name under heaven in which we must be saved. And so you look at the scriptures this morning, brethren, and you ask, answer the question, well, who does it matter for? It matters for you. It matters for me and every other human being on this planet. How do I know that God had given a commission? How do I know that the reason why they were willing to put their lives on the line is because they knew how important it was. They knew that it mattered for everybody. They knew that their lives in the grand scheme of things meant nothing. But they were vessels, tools, in which God was using to bring the message out to the masses. You look at what this next passage of Scripture says in Matthew 28. And we look at this passage, and most of us have seen this a thousand times, and we understand what the passage is saying. But I, under understand, I wonder if we understand that it's speaking to us as well. Us here today, as disciples of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came up to his disciples and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples? You teach. And you live out your faith. Remember last week I said that you need to be careful how you live? Because your life may be the only gospel somebody ever reads. Your life may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. And so we need to be careful how we live as we go out and teach. And so, brethren, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of. You know what that means? In the authority of who? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I had commanded you. He doesn't say teaching them to observe all that I suggested to you. It's a commandment. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, around verse 23, he says, if you keep my commands, we will love you. My Father and I will come and we'll make our abode with you. If you love me. And you look at here, it says, teaching them in verse 20 to observe all that I had commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Brethren, the gospel is personal in nature. It makes a difference in every single person who hears it, believes it, and calls upon the name of Jesus Christ and lives obediently. It matters because the gospel makes a difference in the lives of the people who become disciples of Jesus. It matters because it has the power unto salvation. It is the only thing in this planet that has the ability to change your life, transform your mind, to become, in, to become pleasing to a holy and righteous God. And so when we look at the scriptures and we look at the power of the gospel, the power unto salvation, and the fact that it has the power to change our lives and transform us, if your life hasn't been changed, if you're a Christian and your life isn't changed, it hasn't been transformed, then you're doing it wrong. 
If your life hasn't been transformed by the power of the gospel, you're doing it wrong. When you answer the call of Christ, when you make the Jesus the Lord of your life, when you submit to the will of God, change happens. But you know what the key there is? I wonder how many Christians actually submit to the will of God. Oh, sure. We'll read it, and we'll believe it, and we'll confess, and we'll be baptized. But have you submitted to the will of God? Have you made Jesus the Lord, the master of your life? How many times, I say it all the time in nauseam, how many times have I said that we're in a servant-master relationship? If we're in a servant-master relationship, it only matters what the master wants. It only matters what the master says. And so, brethren, we understand that when we look at this, God had given a commission that we are to go and take the message out so that way others could understand who Jesus is. They could understand the love that God has for mankind. They could understand that as they give their lives to Christ that a change should happen. There's a reason why before we get to baptism, it talks about repentance. Repentance is first, right? We begin the process of turning away from sin. We give our lives to Christ. And I know that change should happen. Because if you're not changing and you're not transforming, and the, if the gospel's not having that effect on your life, you're doing it wrong. I know because I have an example. I look at the next passage of Scripture. And verse 11 is one of my favorite passages. Notice what it says here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 9 through 11, it says, Do you not know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? But you know what's important? is verse 11. The example that you need to see that the gospel should change your life. Living for God, becoming a disciple of Jesus, should change your life. I know this because in verse 11 it says, such were some of you. Past tense. Such were some of you. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were fornicators, adulterers, drunkards, swindlers, revilers. It says, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of, meaning in the authority of, who? Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Brethren, verse 11 says you were. That means change has happened. Because if change hasn't happened, they'd still be drunkards and adulterers and fornicators and revilers and swindlers. Those who have been, those who are in Christ have been what? They've been washed, meaning baptism. They've been sanctified, meaning what? Set apart from the world. God has said, I have a new standard. In the Bible study this morning, if you were here, you would have heard in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says, but I say to you. When Jesus says, but I say to you, he's getting ready to lay down the law. You might want to listen. He says, but I say to you. And then I think about what's happening here. They were washed, baptism. They were sanctified, set apart by the word of God and by the, the changed lives. And they were justified by the blood of Christ, meaning made right in the sight of God. If you are truly in Christ and living faithfully for the will of God, their change must be evidence in your life. Otherwise, you know who you're like? You're like Matthew chapter 7. You're like those Christians 
who have gone on before us, who have already died, and Christians in the future who are going to die, and they're going to go to the Lord, and the Lord is going to, they're, they're going to say, hey, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things? Didn't we perform all these, uh, uh, didn't we glorify your name and perform miracles? And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. You who practice lawlessness. Those are people who thought they were in Christ, but they weren't living for Christ. They were still living for themselves. Jesus wasn't the Lord of their lives. They were still the Lord of their lives. And so we look at the scriptures. To follow up on that, I look at the next passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Master-servant relationship, pay attention. In verse 20, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We know that the Paul also said in Scripture that not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us dies for himself. So whether we live or whether we die, we, die for the, we live for the Lord. What does that mean? We're no longer live for ourselves and our own desires. We live for the kingdom of God. When a person gives his life to Christ, he is no longer lives for his own fleshly desires, for his own thought processes. But brethren, but we have to live for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom. We must understand that the gospel matters because we live in a sin-filled world. Amen? And God doesn't desire that any of his creation should perish. We must understand that the gospel uh, matters everywhere to all people. I know because we read Mar uh, Matthew 28, we look at Mark 16, and it says, Go into what? All the world again. And do what? Preach the gospel. How can you preach the gospel if you don't know what the gospel is and why it matters? Go and preach the gospel. He who has believed and has been baptized. They're not mutually exclusive. They're one and the same. You have to believe and be baptized. Remember I talk about biblical faith all the time. It's a threefold process. Belief, trust, obedience. You can't have biblical faith without all three working in harmony together. And so you look at the scriptures here this morning. And we know that God wants the gospel to go out to all the world. How do I know that? Because when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and you look at the passage of scripture behind me that so many people know, that so many people quote, it's on signs at sporting events all over the place. In John 3, 16 and 7, Jesus, in the conversation with Nicodemus about baptism, about being born again, says this. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why? For God did not send his son in the world to judge the world, but God sent his son in the world that they may have salvation, that they may be saved through him. Brethren, through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel, lives are transformed. The power unto salvation is in no other name, and the power unto salvation resides in the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. So we look at the scriptures here this morning. And we know that we must hear the message. We know that we have to believe the message. We know that we must confess Jesus, repent of sins, and be baptized. But what most people forget after that point, it's like marriage. And I say, I do. It's the beginning of the marriage. That's when the real work begins. We've got to learn how to love one another. We've got to learn how to deal with each other's idiosyncrasies. We've got to learn how to deal with all the little things that, that we have to learn because 
We shouldn't have been living together beforehand, so hopefully now that we're in Christ and we're married, now I have to learn how to love you. I have to learn how to live with you. I have to learn how to put up with you. Right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to this onion when you get married. And not everything's going to be happy, happy, uh, happy-go-lucky, right? And there's a lot of smiling and smirking by the married couples in here this morning. Because you know it's a challenge in the beginning. So what's the point? As a Christian, when you first become a Christian, God adds you to the kingdom after your baptism. You must learn to then live and love faithfully, consistently as a Christian. That's why I said be careful how you live because you're... Your life may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. Trusting in God, brothers and sisters, it changes us all for the better. Because all of the laws and all of the provisions that God had put in place is for our benefit. To bring us back into relationship with a loving God and Father. And so when we look at this, I asked the question here this morning. Knowing these things this morning, if you're not a child of God, do you want to put on Christ in baptism? And if you don't, why? What's holding you up? Did you know that your life has an expiration date? Who knows when that expiration date is? Not us. <clears throat> listen to what it says here. When I asked the question, do you want to put on Christ in baptism? Listen to what Paul said to the uh, people of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 2. He said, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. But notice what he says. But... Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So what is the point? Brothers and sisters, as I close this lesson down, the gospel matters. And it matters because it is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It matters because it is the power of God unto salvation. It matters because it addresses everyone's relationship with God. That we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and that we are called to be saved through Jesus, through his sacrifice, and that it is, that's why it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel matters because there is not a single place and not a single person on this planet who doesn't need it. The gospel matters because it changes people. It transforms people. And they make those people uh, which helps transform their families transforms communities, transforms lives and people and relationships. Because now you start to love differently, talk differently, act differently, entertain yourself differently. Because why? We've been sanctified, set apart. We don't live no longer for the desires of the flesh and the ignorance that was ours before we became Christians. We now live for a holy and righteous God. Brethren, now you, know why the, now you know what the gospel is. Now you know why the gospel matters. And so the question I really have to ask ourselves then as we close this lesson down is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this information? Share it. My hope would be you'd share it. Why? Not because I asked you to, because God had commissioned it. That was his first and foremost command for his disciples. Go and do what? Teach. Preach, share. And if, they're, if they try to kill you along the way, you flee to another town and you continue the process. Teach, preach, share. Brethren, if you're not a child of God here this morning, you have an opportunity to change that. You have an opportunity to have your sins washed away. 
You have an opportunity this morning to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. And then that's where the work begins. Because we have to live faithfully and love as God has called us to love. You have that opportunity right now as we stand and sing the Song of Invitation.